0: Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today is a native of Fort Worth, Texas, who's been studying martial arts for over 50 years, earning his first degree black belt in 1969 under a panel of masters that included Chuck Norris. He opened his first martial arts school in Minnesota in 1973 and is a founder of National Karate Schools. He's been a commentator on ESPN and is an owner-operator of JLB Promotions, which produces the Diamond Nationals Karate Championships and more. Please welcome to the show today my guest, Mr. John Worley. How are you doing today, sir?
1: I'm doing just fine, Brian. Thank you again for inviting me on your show, and uh, I'm anxious to uh, speak to you, and uh, hopefully I can provide some interest to some folks.
0: I hope so. I appreciate your time. So what we do with all my guests, I, I want to go back to the beginning. What led to your first interest, that first spark, your, you know, your first knowledge? What, what, what led to your first getting
1: involved in martial arts? My younger brother, Pat, who was five five years younger and was in high school, senior in high school, had started taking karate classes uh, in Fort Worth, Texas, a place called the Worth Health Studio. And uh, I had never heard about martial arts at all, really. And so we were at uh, my grandparents' uh, home down in uh, Hamilton, Texas. And after we had dinner, we were all standing around, and Pat went outside and said, know, yeah, I've been doing some karate." I said, What's What are you talking about? <laughs> and he so he, he started, you know, throwing some kicks, and and he, he went over and he dug up a brick out of her out of her uh, flower garden and broke it with a with a shoe and <laughs> we all went, "Wow, little skinny Pat Worley's doing that stuff!" And so. <laughs> Uh, that, that sparked my interest, and, and so we ended up, we were actually, my wife and I, Patty were living over in the Dallas area, and, and uh, so it was a bit of a drive to get over to Fort Worth, but we ended up going into one of Alan Steen's schools uh, in Dallas and watching classes, and once again, it just, you know, everything I saw was, was magical for me. And, uh, but then we went over to Pat's studio, the Pat's school in the Worth Hill studio, and that was in actually Haltom City, which is a suburb of Fort Worth. And we went in and we actually walked in the door and we, we sat down in a little, little lobby area. And there was a guy who managed this place. This was not a you know full scale, nice health club, kind of a, as we see today. This was a kind of a dingy little place that had a bunch of free weights scattered around and, and it had a little back room for the karate class. And, uh, yeah, we're out there and they had, they had like swinging doors, like, you know, barroom doors that went from the lobby into the karate class. So we're sitting to wait to talk to this guy about, you know, watching some classes or maybe, maybe signing up for classes. And all of a sudden this guy comes blowing through the doors backwards and rolls over his brown belt, rolls up right through our feet, jumped up, and yelled out, and went screaming back into the room. And I just thought, that's about the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so we watched classes, we decided, okay, we'll go ahead and make the drive and um, and we did We started coming and taking classes at the Worth hell Studio. and what was that uh, what style was that? Uh, well, um, Jun uh, okay we, you know inter, introduced Taekwondo in this country, came to Fort Worth actually came not to Fort Worth but to Texas uh, following the Korean War and he was an exchange student and he started teaching classes uh, down in Texas i, I trying to remember which town i can't remember exactly what town i was in it was through the university where he went to school mm-hmm. and alan steen was one of his first students and one of his first black belts. and i think most people know the name alan steen mm-hmm. um, but he came up to alan steen after he graduated from college came back up to dallas and started you know opening opened up his first school about the same time pat burleson over in fort worth Sort um, of became affiliated with uh, uh, Mr. Rhee and with Alan Steen, and his, you know, he had a school in Fort Worth. And he was actually originally a, a Japanese form; uh, I don't remember which particular Japanese style, but that was his original training, uh, Mr. Burleson. But then he started having Mr. Mr. Ree come to his school for exams and that sort of thing. Mr. Rhee, in the meantime, had relocated to Washington, D.C so you had that connection down in texas and and chuck lovin who was our instructor was a student of pat burleson's and had started uh teaching at the worth health studio as one of the branches of pat burleson school so we were all uh kind of it was kind of called it was called texquando in those days really (laughs) Uh, it was it was definitely a uh, fighters kind of a training place and Mm -hmm. mainly you know, Chuck would tell us, well, you guys work on those forms outside on your own. We don't really have time for that here in the school. So we would be mainly just working on self-defense and uh, sparring. Wow! So take us through, like,
0: some of those early days. What What was a typical class like then?
1: Well, yeah, it it, it was funny because, you know, later in my career, I was able to go to Washington, D.C., or where, where I was invited to go there and, and teach in the Junior Institute. Wow. And I always felt like that that's where my formal training began for martial arts okay but you know back in fort worth i remember in the first couple of classes we went out there and my wife started classes with me and so we're out you know lined up with with other white belts and i think we had probably some mix of of, you know gold belt green belts in that particular class you know i think we had a beginner class and and an advanced class that's all there was two classes a night and so uh, Chuck, who was not, again, he, he didn't put a lot of value or time into you know, intricate training. So he was just like, all right, we're gonna do a, you're going to do a round kick. And I'd never seen a round kick. And he just said, well, I'll just watch the guy in front of you and do what he does. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's really kind of how our training started. Uh, so we just, you know, you just kind of made a line. And Pat, of course, Pat was a green belt then, I believe, or maybe with, he might have been a little higher rank. But so Pat was very helpful for me because he would, you know, he would work with me and teach me things you know, after class and, and we'd work out together a little bit. So I learned as much from Pat as, as I did from Chuck. But Chuck Lovin, who, who was just a, a, a really interesting uh, guy, you know, he had, he grew up in, I want to say Abilene, that area, but it may have been somewhere farther out in West Texas. And, the, you know, the, the story goes that, you uh, As a young guy, he had trouble staying out of, staying out of trouble and, you know, getting in fights and, you know, different things. And so he was apparently at one point invited by the local, uh, local uh, sheriff there that he, he needs to either get, go in the army or go to jail. And so Chuck opted for the army. (laughs) And uh, so he was in the army he came out of the army and he uh, moved to Fort Worth and he got a job at Bell Helicopter. And then he started his training there under Pat Burleson. And ultimately, you know, Pat and I started our training under Chuck. And and so he was, again, he he wasn't a guy that spent a lot of time, you know, working on the, you know, the exotic parts of martial arts, but he, he loved to fight and he loved to teach fighting. And so we all, you know, had that as our kind of our uh, start. And, and, but he did have a, he made you, he had a way of making people love martial arts, and so I, I really give him credit, uh, along with Pat, for, for kind of breathing that that fire into us for martial arts when we were young guys. Wow!
0: So, what uh, now? Did you uh, at what level? What do you remember? What belt level you started competing, and do you remember your first tournament?
1: I do. Okay. Yeah, I was a white belt.
0: Wow. Okay, right <laughs> <Yeah>. into it. <laughs>
1: okay. uh, yeah, I'd been I'd been training for about six weeks, maybe. And Pat <laughs> wow. was, was you know, was a green belt, a purple belt. And uh I don't think we've had purple belt. He must have been a green belt. So we we there was a tournament, uh, Jack Wong, uh, another Korean that did you know come come to this country, uh, had schools in Oklahoma City. And so he had a, a tournament. And Pat had already entered the tournament and so we decided hey we'll go up to oklahoma city so you know my wife and i and pat and I all went up you know drove up i think i had a my daughter darby was, uh, was was along with us and she was about a two-year-old at this point so we went up there and and anyhow, we, you know we the tournament was supposed to was advertised i think to start at nine o'clock or something on saturday and we had a little hotel room so we got there we were already you know in uniform waiting at the door about 8 30. You know, well nobody else showed up till about 11. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and that's kind of how tournaments were in those days so very organized <laughs> yeah yeah it really is and let's see let's see who shows up and let's see how many rings we need and let's see who's here to judge you now anyhow i i i thought something i i was i was kind of a chubby guy at that point I, I was probably weighing about 185 pounds or so and uh, not in great shape but I remember having to fight some guy who, in in my mind, in my memory, he was about six eight. He probably was closer to six three or four, but <laughs> <laughs> he was he was a big guy, and I, and so I lost my first sparring match. Um, you know, kind of uh, without much fanfare. Uh, Pat, as I recall, I think he placed in that tournament, but I don't think he won it. But he, I think he placed. Okay. But anyhow, we were just absolutely again just captivated. It, it, you know, that was just it was the most exciting thing that I can remember ever doing. And we, we were there all day long wearing our uniforms up in the finals. even. Wow. Uh, so that was my introduction to tournament karate.
0: Okay. So now did uh, that tournament also, did it only have sparring or did it also have like forms competition?
1: You know, I don't remember if they offered forms in those okay. days. Uh, uh-huh. I know at the very, very early days, a lot of them did not.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and we we certainly weren't going to enter form because we didn't already know it. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, so I don't remember if they ordered, I know they didn't have weapons. I know that for certain. Okay. And they didn't have any any of the more, you know, the, the types of you know, musical, none of, and none of that was available in those days. So there may have been some few form divisions available. Uh, and I, I know that they did start to offer form divisions in Texas shortly after that period of time.
0: Okay. And then at what level did you, did teaching become something you got involved in and interested in?
1: Well, uh, again, you know, my brother Pat and I, we, we, we kind of jumped ahead. I was a brown belt by this point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, we went to, my wife and I moved up to Denton, Texas, and I went. I reentered college. I started college and then had dropped out and then got married and you know, had, had a couple of kids. And, and we ended up going up to Denton, Texas, and I went back to school. And Pat was going to go to college up there as well. So we rented a house that had out in the back, it had this old shed that was it was just in rough shape, in a terrible shape. So Pat and I went out and we we bought some plywood and we came back and we and we put in our own little floor, a little plywood floor, hammered it into the floor that was below that, and you know, varnished it and, and did all that kind of stuff and went out and put together some flyers saying, you know, karate classes available. <laughs> And uh, so we. We, we 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 advertised on campus, and I think we had initially we had probably three or four guys that came in and, and signed up for classes. Okay. Uh, in the meantime, Jim Butten, who you know was also from Fort Worth, originally, but also was at, going to school in, in North Texas, uh, was teaching a karate class for Alan Steen uh, uh, somewhere on campus uh, in one of the gymnasiums or something. And in those days, you know, you didn't go out and just open up a school without kind of getting someone's permission. And and so Pat and I kind of, you know, we kind of bypassed the permission part. (laughs) And so anyhow, somehow, I don't remember how this happened. We got a message, and they said, Mr. Mr. Steen would like to talk to you. And so, oh, my, you know, we were just, we both just went white as a sheet. You know, we we got in the car and drove immediately to Dallas. And we went to his house, knocked on his door. And he came out and he said, so I hear you boys are teaching some karate up there. And we went, well, not really. I mean, sort of, maybe, yeah, they're kind of, well, yeah. <laughs> 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 and I said, I said, but it's only, you know, and then we explained to him what we were doing. And so I said, it's really kind of just a little club. We only have three guys with us, you know. And so he <laughs> he just kind of laughed and he said, <laughs> Well, you shouldn't do it that way. You know, you need to you need to talk to somebody before you go off and do something like that. <laughs> so he said, okay, "Okay, yes, sir, we will." And, Yeah, we went back, and and then, you know, shortly after that, we, we we folded the tents on that particular effort. Decided, well, we're not maybe we're not ready to teach karate just yet.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So then, what now? Thinking back, you know, your your black belt test. Think about that that day and what the test was like, and kind of how it compares to like a black belt test of today.
1: Well, leapfrogging forward, Pat and I were both in the brown belts, and we had, had some success by that point. I'd gotten, you know, a little better and, and had had uh, done well in a couple of tournaments. And then Alan Steen's big U.S. Invitational was one of the biggest tournaments in the country at that time. We, we were fighting in the we had two different brown belt rings, lightweight rings. And so by this time, I kind of got myself in shape, and I was fighting in one of the lightweight rings. Pat was fighting in the other, we both won those rings and then we had to fight that night on stage okay. and Pat had won the tournament the previous year by beating Jeff Smith okay. on stage. And this year, Jeff fought in the heavy heavyweight division. So he, he fought and won his division at, that night. And then Pat and I fought that, that same night. Uh, and you know, I had sparred Pat over the, you know, the last three years of our life, there, probably. 150 times and of the 150 times that he and I had sparred he was better than me 150 times <laughs> and and so we get up there and he's kind of you know messing around and, and laughing and waving at me and we we're <laughs> you know we're, we're trying I'm I'm dead serious because I, I, I would have wanted to win this thing and uh, so, yeah, I, he he throws a jump spinning uh, back kick at me. And I, I and then I, I hit him with a ridge hand when he hit the ground. And so I got a point. And then I knew that, well, if, if Pat wants to beat me here, he'll beat me. And we had another, you know, 45 seconds to go. And I moved around as much as I could. He he just kind of played around. So he he really didn't try to win. He didn't want to win. He wanted me to win. Because he'd already had a lot of success and he just thought it'd be cool for his younger brother to, I mean, for his older brother to be able to win a tournament. Mm -hmm. So I I ended up, you know, winning one to nothing, but honestly, it it was he he threw that match in order to to see me have some success. So based on that and and a couple other things where I had actually beaten some guys, we were, there there was a team event, going to be Brown Belt Team Challenges, and it was going to be Texas team. Versus a team from California All Star team, oh. and it was going to be a, a tournament promoted by Chuck Norris and Mike Stone. They did a thing called the Four Seasons, and they would put four tournaments a year on, and this would be the you know the headline of that particular tournament. So uh, they picked a team in Dallas. It was Jeff Smith from Kingsville, Texas. Now Kingsville is about as far as you can go in Texas from away from Dallas. And we, we he was on the team. Uh, Bill Watson was on the team, another great fighter. Pat, uh, a guy named Rick Vaughn, and a guy named Harry Leggett, all of whom were outstanding brown belt fighters. And then I was selected as an alternate. So if somebody got hurt, then I would step in. But we had these training sessions over at uh, Mr. Steen's school over in Dallas. Jeff Smith would drive, I think it was 600 miles one way to to get there in time to participate in those workouts. And then he'd spend the night somewhere, and then he'd turn around and drive home the next day. And then he would come back and do it the next week. So that's how motivated he was. So we all went, in, you know, we all you know worked out together, and and, and then we went out to uh, Los Angeles, and we had the tournament out there. But part of the thing was when we went out there, they said, well, if if you're eligible for your black belt, you can. We'll test you, uh, and one of Mr. Norris's. He had a school in Redondo Beach. Mm-hmm. And so Pat and I and Bill Watson were eligible for black belt. Postscript to that, Mr. Ree had stopped coming to Texas at that time, and, and conducting exams because we would all you know, anticipated that we'd be testing under his direction. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was something that happened, some conflict that was minor, but anyhow, he, he was not coming to Texas during that time to conduct exams. And so Chuck Love, and our instructor, you know, kind of lobbied for us to be able to be, you know, take that test in in los angeles so we did we went on a on a friday when we we got there on thursday i think we went on that that next day we went out to mr Norris's redondo beach uh, school and the three of us tested and and unlike you know today when everybody is completely prepared for what they're going to do knowing that you know our our students all know exactly what they're expected to do on Mm -hmm. black we had no idea We we just so we had mr steen was there uh pat burleson uh skipper mullins Mike Stone, you know, of course, and all of our teammates were there, and I don't recall if Joe Lewis was there or not, but I think he was. Okay, I was again, and I, I was absolutely just terrified, and I was not very prepared for the for the exam. But you know, we would just get up there, and they said, "Okay, let's see." You know, they take through some you know some basics, you know, front stance, little blocks, you know, just do some of that stuff, kind of warm up. Then they would just take turns saying, oh, "I want to see you do this, this, this. I want to see you do round kick, jump back kick, you know, hook kick." Punch, go, and we all kind of you know do that, and then we and then we had to do form, and uh, I got lost on the form. I was doing. I was so psyched up by it all, and Mr. Steen couldn't remember the form. He 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 said, Pat, show him the form. <laughs> and so, and so I, I finally managed to get through that. So that was we did all of that, and it, and it was all these guys kind of took turns, you know, giving us stuff to do, and it was physically exhausting because we you know, we, we just went one right, you know, just right after another, just the three others. So all three of us were getting just completely blown away. Wow. Uh, but we managed to get through it, and they said, "Well, the sparring part will come tomorrow." You know, when, you, when, when your team fights the all-star team. Oh. So that that was my black belt exam for first degree. At, at the uh, tournament the next day, you know, our guys fought the the, uh, the California guys. And all those guys were really good, too. They had some really tough brown belts on their team. And it was a battle. And it was really physical. And this was before pads or anything. There mm-hmm. was, you know, you know, people were, would hit each other really, really hard. And so our guys ended up winning by, I think, one point or something. It was a really close, great, great match. I didn't have to go in and fight anybody because nobody got hurt. So after it was over with, I went to Mr. Steen, and the tournament was wrapping up. That was the last event. I said, Mr. Steen, I didn't fight for my black belt. What what should I do? And he said, oh, that's right. Okay, wait a minute. Hey, guys. So he he got the five guys on our team. And I just had to fight them one on you know one after the other. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so I managed to, I, you know, once again. I, you know every one of these guys were better than me, and uh, <laughs> but they all kind of took mercy on me. I think by the time I got to the fifth guy, he was just you know just dance around so that I didn't you know pass out or anything. <laughs> but I man, managed to get through it, and uh, and we all were promoted based on all that. Wow.
0: What a great story! That's awesome. <laughs> De- <laughs> definitely different than today's test. That's for sure.
1: It, it is. Yeah, it is. It is definitely way different, and 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 not the not the best way to go about it, in my opinion.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: So then, what what led to you
0: moving to Minnesota?
1: Well, after we had done that and got promoted, there was a period of time that went by, and uh, Mr. Ree, back in Washington D.C., I think he at that time had, I think, four locations and he had a couple of his guys that were teaching for him decided they were going to go and open their own schools so it left him kind of in the lurch in the meantime he had always maintained a contact with jeff smith down in kingsville jeff had a club down there you know, through the college that mr re would come down for and, and you know for exams and that sort of thing so he knew jeff and he invited jeff to come to washington to fill one of the you know take over one of the schools and then Jeff uh, talked to him about Pat, because Jeff, you know, Jeff really respected Pat. He had lost to Pat, you know, when they were both brown belts. And he just, and Jeff, in Jeff's words, he said, I knew if I got Pat up here, I'd be better. That he'd make me better. So he said, well, why don't you bring up Pat Worley? And so Mr. Ree said, oh, OK. And I think that took care of the two vacancies. And, I, and Pat told me, said, I got invited to go to Washington, D.C. and teach for Mr. Reed. And I went, really? And I said, well, does he need anybody else? And he said, well, I don't know. And I said, well, when you go there, would you ask him if, if, if you know, if I can come? You know? So he, uh, he he went to Washington, D.C., and, and at some point uh, I was I had just floundered from one. I, I, I was really good at, at convincing some employer that I was going to really be the next great thing for him. And then by about lunchtime of the following day, I'd be thinking, well, what am I doing? Here? I hate this. <laughs> And so I, I was kind of bouncing around from one job to the next to the next. At that time, I was supposed to be selling insurance of some sort. And what I would do is I I'd get on my, we had meetings every morning. I get on my, my suit, I go to the meeting. Then I go to the Worth Health Studio, take off the suit, put on a uniform and go work out. <laughs> 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 and spend the day there working out and you know, hanging out and doing stuff. And uh, so anyhow, I, I got a phone call from Mr. Reed there at the Worth Health Studio. And he said, I understand you would you you wanted to come to uh, Washington. I said, Mr. E, I, I really do, yes. And he said, Well, I don't have a place for you. I said, Well, if I come there, if you just let me know that the first the next you know opening that comes up that I can I can have that job, I'll just I'll do I'll get a job doing something else until that time. He said, You do that? And he said, yeah, I understand you're married and you have you have two children. I said, Yes, sir. I do, yes I am. And yes, I would. And so he said, well, all right, okay. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, my wife and I packed up the kids and, and got a little trailer so we could, you know, anything wouldn't fit in our little car and took off for Washington. Mm-hmm. so we just drove pretty much straight through. I think we stopped, I don't know, I think we must have stopped one night on the road, but mainly drove straight through. And we we got to Washington and we got a hotel. I called the next day and say, well, Mr. We're here. And he said, well, I've decided to go ahead and open up a school. I found a location out in Annandale, Virginia, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C. area. And so once we get that one open, you'll be teaching there. So meantime, he said, you can help build it out. So we found an apartment and I started working up hanging sheetrock and mirrors and getting ready to start my teaching career. Okay. So, so that's, that's, how, that's how, that's what got us to Washington under yep. Mr. Reed. And as I say, that's where I felt like really my, my formal instruction in martial arts began because right. Mr. Reed was, you know, he, he was a, t- a tremendous stickler for details and for, you know, having really, really uh, great, you know, well-organized and specific classical basics. So everything, I mean, you know, from, from a front stance everything was so clearly, you know, defined and and laid out and taught the way he did. So we we would have classes with him every once a week. We had a meeting that we would go down to the main uh, school at Washington, in uh, downtown Washington, D.C. It was at 2000 L Street, a beautiful school. We were just blown away. Pat and I both were just, you know, we walked into this place and, oh, man, this is a Mecca. Mm -hmm. You know, this is unlike anything we've ever seen. And uh and so we would we'd have uh meetings, you know, business meetings in the morning and then afterwards we'd all work out. And then and Mr. Reed would always conduct the you know the first part of the of the training session and, and and that's really good. He just taught us classical basics and he taught us mechanics on how to kick. And wow. when I first when I first got there, again, you know, we we never no one ever suggested there were mechanics involved in kicking, you just kick. <laughs> and Mr. Reed said, let me see your sidekick. I thought I had a pretty good sidekick. So I, I locked out a couple of sidekicks and he went, oh, I don't really like your sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so we went back and, and this is, you know, after working out, that was when we first got there, really the first night. So we go back and and, and he had a little health club and we and we all said, let's go. And then we all worked out and we're hot. And so I, let's go take a sauna. So we're all back in the in the in the sauna and he he started to teach me the mechanics of a sidekick in the sauna. Wow. And, <laughs> and, so it wasn't the most dignified thing I've ever done, but but I <laughs> I learned right away, knee up, pivot, lock, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know how to how to teach a mechanic proper mechanical sidekick. Pat just did it naturally. And but I, I made sure that next time he asked to see the psychic, I had those mechanics down. <laughs> so That's I awesome. was doing them. I was doing them somewhat to his uh, to his, uh, his satisfaction. But we were there for uh, about three years. Okay. And uh, meantime, there was a fellow named Gary Hestelo, who was also one of the my classmates, our, my, my past classmates back in Fort Worth. He wanted to come up, and so he, you know, Mister E had a place for him. And he came up. And so we were all there together so all these Texans and it was a, it was a wonderful time for us to be in karate because you know we didn't own a school at that time and we, all we, all we were doing was you know was teaching and running our school and that was just fun you know that, that was that wasn't work. And then working out you know trying to train all, you know all the time working out hard and getting together at, you know a couple of nights a week after classes and sparring and, and hitting pads and doing all the things that you know that young excited karate guys do. And uh, <laughs> one point, we were getting this is following one of the meetings that downtown in downtown Washington. Uh, after the meeting, we'd always get together and work out. And so we and, and we we're you know, everybody's very competitive. And so we, we would come up with these different uh, competitions. We would try to figure out what to, you know, you know, who could do this better, who could do that better. And one of the things we had, Mr. Reed had this big, you know, heavy leather bag hanging bag, out, out in the middle of the room. We'd take chairs and put them in front of the bag. And then run and jump over the chairs and kick the bag. <laughs> and then once once we, you know, if we did over three chairs, we put four. And then we just, until some guy missed the bag, you know, he, he was out. And, and, the, and so it got down to uh, me and Jeff and Pat. So I, I go out on about five chairs. I could jump pretty well. And you know, you know it's never much fun when you don't, when you when you hit when you go when you hit the chairs. No. But <laughs> then I, I was out and left Pat and Jeff. And so uh, they're still going in this five chairs, this six chairs. And I don't remember if Pat went out on six or if they were still in the contest. But we had to back up. There was an office just outside the main training room, and it had a hallway that led into the training room down by the office. And we didn't have enough running room. Now, By this point, it was six chairs. So we had to open the door and get back in the hallway and go running down the hallway in front of the business office out into the gym and then hit the bag and so jeff is going like crazy and he leaps in there he catches the bag right at the bottom of the bag flips the bag up into the roof up in the ceiling knocking out ceiling tile and grid work and <laughs> the lights went dark <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and, and all you could hear was all of us scaring around trying to hide somewhere <laughs> mr., mr e came out opened the door He looked around and see the bag's still swinging. The lights were kind of flickering. There's, there's debris out there (laughs) where the ceiling broke down and he just kind of shrugged and said, well, boys will be boys. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, he, uh, we decided at some point, Gary and I, that we wanted to go into partnership and we wanted to have our own school somewhere. And so we started, you know, talking about that and, and saving up money as much as we could. And Mr. E, who would be opening a Ree Institute, uh, Mr. E wanted us to go to Baltimore because he said, well, my, you know, my, our advertising, our television advertising reaches into Baltimore so people would already know the name Ree. And we thought, yeah, well, but you know, we want to really want to have, we, we kind of knew that if it was that, it would just still be a junior school. You know, mm-hmm. Mr. E was, you know, was, has a very strong personality. So we knew that we really wouldn't be on our own. So we looked at, uh, we looked at Boston and we looked at uh, Houston. We didn't want to go back to the Dallas Fort Worth area. We didn't want to go to anywhere where we knew people already. Mm-hmm. And we didn't want to compete with, you know, people that we already knew in karate. And he said, well, what do you think about Minneapolis, St. Paul? And I said, well, I was kind of wanting to stay in the U S <laughs> <laughs> he said, no, 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 no. You know, they, we, you know, they've got, you know, they got the Vikings. They got the 12. Oh, oh yeah. And he said, oh yeah, Mary Tyler <laughs> Yeah, That's right. I know. And so he and I got on the plane, came up and stayed about four or five days in a hotel and just drove around, rented a car, drove around and went to uh, every cry school we could find. And there were a couple of Koreans that were primarily uh, dominant here. Uh, Jun Sun Hyun had a, a called the Karate Center. And I think he had three locations at that time. And then there was another Korean man named Mr. Lee, who had, I think, one or possibly two schools and so we we drove around and we visited them all and and you know we thought well i think we can compete here there's you know lots of lots of area here that's not being serviced so went back and we again spent a year getting ready to go and we uh we've been in washington then about three years um we were trying to rent space kind of on the phone we would you know we had we located a realtor up here that would Go out and recommend spaces to us, and, and describe them to us, and send you know information on them. And then Gary made one trip up by himself to go look at a couple of spaces, and, and we, they got turned down. And we finally just said, "Well, you know, we're having no luck doing that. So we just need to go there." So we just threw everything in a truck and drove up and. Found a place to live and started going and looking for grade schools. Wow. Uh, my my wife was you know very employable, so she she was able to get a job, and his wife was able to get a job, so we had a little bit of income coming in, and yeah. uh, but you know we, we spent about two months every day driving around, driving around, looking at places, coming back, calling people, and getting turned down because we you know we had very little money. We had and and people go. And, 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 you know, we're, we're, I know, oh, oh, okay, I know a place is perfect. It's about the third floor walk up, you know, it's over in this little, I said, no, oh, no, we want to be in, in, you know, retail. We want to be in, you know, where people can see us, you know, where they maybe have, you know, expendable income. And long story short, we finally had an, old, an older guy that, you know, looked at us and, and said, I don't know anything about this, but I I have a feeling about you boys. <laughs> and so he let us open a school out in Bloomington okay so that that was
0: your first one so now so this many years later how many national karate schools are there now
1: oh I think there are i just I think there are hang on a minute um I believe there's 31. wow
0: and are they all primarily in Minnesota or have you spread
1: no no there's uh, Minnesota I think there's 21 or two in Minnesota uh, four down in Chicago area, um, one in Milwaukee, one in Colorado Springs, and wow. one in Fort Myers. Okay, nice. And these these are all those that you know are you know people that had worked for me as as instructors and school directors, and then they when they wanted to uh, have their own school, then you know I've, I, my wife and I would try to do what we could do to help them. You know to locate us a proper location, and, and I would help them with leases and things. Mm-hmm. So most of them had no experience with them, that sort of thing. Okay. And and I'd seen other places where the people had tried to franchise or like you know do something like that where they would say, okay you know you're, you're my instructor you've been working for me now for the last three years and you want to have your own school and okay you got to pay me you know X dollars twenty thirty whatever thousand dollars whatever they thought was right
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then and the guy would then say well I don't have and all I have is enough money to open a school if I give you all that money I can't open school. And so what they would do, of course, is they just break away and go open their own school and usually do it as close to that school as possible because then they knew they would attract a lot of the students <laughs> to come down to them because okay. that's they, because they're the ones that have been teaching classes. Right. So we, we just didn't want to make that mistake. So we, we didn't require any kind of a payment for a license with us wow. to use the name. Um, but What we did do is we set up a, a billing uh, service so that we would bill their tuition payments for their students. And then we would retain a, a small percentage for doing that function. Okay. And and that you know was providing a service for them, so they weren't resentful, and at the same time was providing uh, additional business income for us. Okay. So it's it's been a workable situation.
0: So then, uh, how did you meet Larry and Bill, and, and how did the the Diamond Nationals come about?
1: Well, Larry, I, I knew back from Texas. He's another he's another guy that did the same thing. He was from Texas. Okay. Uh, and he came from Texas to Washington D.C. And then from Washington, D.C., we recruited him up to Minnesota because we knew Larry was, was you know, a great martial artist and a good guy. And so at one point, there were five of us uh, in Minnesota, all partners. And it was myself and Pat and Gordon Franks, who was Pat's student, and who, you know, of course, went on to become the first super lightweight world full contact ride champion, mm-hmm. Gary Hestelow and Larry Conahan. And we all had schools. So we built it. At that point, we were out to – we had five schools. And then as, as things sometimes happen, you know, we started to not get along real well. And, and, you know, Pat and I especially because I think, you know, sibling sort of stuff, you know. <laughs> yep. um, and so after, you know, a, a while where we really were having difficulty, and we just decided that we best split it up. You know, and by this time, Larry uh, Gary Heslow had left Minnesota. He decided he didn't want to be in the school business anymore. So he left Minnesota. And that were, then there were four of us, which made you know breaking uh, ties <laughs> very difficult mm-hmm. and so I finally after a while we we, we did come to the agreement of, of splitting up the schools and so they they went with USA karate we had national karate okay and um and after you know a few years of, of kind of getting over you know the, the the tiff we all got back together and and you know you know now it's all you know, those are what there's Lake Erie is running under that bridge, so we get along just fine. You know. Okay. And, you know, Pat and I are probably closer than we've ever been. But anyhow, we, we so that's how that's how Larry be, became involved. We had started the Diamond Nationals. Um, actually, before it was a before it was the Diamond Nationals, our our first karate tournament. This was when you know Gary was still here. It was called the Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Karate Tournament. <laughs> <Okay>. And <laughs> we had a t shirt with a superman on there with a cape and, and a black belt and bullet bouncing off his chest. And so we gave a little tournament, uh over at the St. Paul Armory. Uh I think we had probably maybe maybe as many as three hundred competitors on the very first one. But I think at that time we probably had four tri schools ourselves, maybe three. And um uh, we invited some guys from outside. We have, you know, Fred Wren came up and Uh, We had Mr. E came up and I don't remember who all else, but we, we brought in some kind of some dignitaries to to try to kind of make it, make things uh, look, look good. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyhow, that was our first effort at karate tournaments. After that, shortly after that, we, we did start the the Diamond Nationals and we, we called it the Mid-American Nationals initially. Okay. And uh, that's where we. About that same time, Bill Dunkley and his family had started taking classes with us, and that's that's how I became acquainted with him. And he's he's an attorney, and so he he started to uh, take over our you know handle our legal work for us. And at the same time, he and I became very very close friends. Um, so ultimately, whenever we finally went through our split and everything, we we worked out an arrangement on the tournament. And we, we kept the Diamond Nationals. We had a regional tournament that we were doing also at that time. And Pat and Gordon took the regional tournament. and We took the Diamond Nationals. And so we just started going from there. And we, and we brought Bill in as a partner, you know, for his, you know, for his legal expertise. And plus, you know, he... He just—he was a very smart guy. He could make some very, very good suggestions, sound mm-hmm. suggestions about what we were doing and, and how we should do things you know, from a business perspective. And so, yeah, that's that was forty-four years ago.
0: Wow. Yeah. So, what what do you think the the biggest couple changes you've seen in the Diamond Nationals since that that first one to you know the current ones?
1: Oh, there's been a hundred changes. <laughs> uh, you know, in the early days, you know, we fought. In our first bigger tournament, big tournament, was at the, what was then called the Minneapolis Auditorium. Okay. In the uh, early days, I, you know, I I think our first tournament, we maybe drew as many as 750 competitors. It might not have been that many, but it was just out on the old Minneapolis uh, Auditorium concrete floor. Wow. Everybody did that. Wow. I mean, all the tournaments were on, on big arena-type floors, and everybody just fought on concrete. And uh, we had pretty limited... Uh, amount of form competition, although we did, you know, we did offer form, so, but it was very limited. I don't know if we had separated form from weapons at that time, mm-hmm. but we did shortly, very shortly after that, we did separate that, and at the same time, that was when uh, music and everything was, you know, starting to, to happen yep. from, with form, and we were one of the first tournaments to have a big, you know, central platform staging. But we, you know, everything we did, we we stole as best we could from the Valve Atlanta. Okay. You know, we, yeah, we go down there, and you know, Joe Corley was, you know, was leading the the, the country and and how to put on a quality event and you know, with and really make it a a presentation a show, you know, mm-hmm. as, as opposed to just competition. And uh, so, yeah, we would come back from watching the you know watching the battle or be participating in the battle, and then say, well, gee, man, they did this. What, you know, what can we do? And so, he, you know, he led the way. And um, we just, you know, kind of started doing things ourselves, you know, based on, you know, learning a lot from watching that. So that's that's really kind of where things evolved. But, yeah, it it became, instead of just a tournament, it became, you know, a a presentation, you know, an event uh, with all of the nighttime show and nighttime activities that went on and that sort of thing. So, you know, and people started to become really well known. And, you know, so you had stars, you know, you had Uh, George Chung and John Chung and and Mm -hmm. some of those early guys that were just fabulous, you know, talented and and spectacular in the way that they did things. Yeah,
0: it was the the first ever tournament I ever attended. I I was never a competitor myself, but I always went to cheer on friends. And my my first time ever attending the Diamond Nationals was in 1990. And I think I went, uh, I, I think probably minus one year, I went every year for about eight or nine years in a row. Um, yeah, I I watch for, and I still have some of the VHS tapes. Actually, I still remember some of my favorite ones. I was there when Carmichael Simon did his crow form and I remember Ashley Lane and her bow staff form and (laughs) yeah, yeah. Some, some great memories from that, uh, from the the finals and stuff. And it's, it's such a good tournament. I mean, so like now right now on average, how many, how many competitors come to the Diamond Nationals every year now?
1: Uh, It's roughly 2000, somewhere around there
0: so is how is that uh, compared to is that one of the biggest in the country still or is yeah it...
1: yeah yeah i think i think diamond nationals u.s open uh are probably the, the two largest tournaments in the country okay um uh, I, I i think after that I, I i'm not sure i know the you know the tournament in washington dc that yeah. uh, dennis brown and his wife do i know that one draws an awful lot of people
0: and, i know the no, long the long though. beach one is pretty big too the ed parker one um
1: yeah i don't know that that one is still going on though i mean, I know that it, maybe it still is, but I don't. You don't hear anything about yeah, that. I haven't. I
0: last time I went to it was in like 95, 95 yeah. or ninety six, and back then it was they had well, was, over three thousand competitors. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah, yeah,
1: it was the biggest for the longest time. Yeah, when uh, Master Parker died, I don't know if that's kind of you know things things lost momentum, but yeah, you don't you don't really see too much about it. I know the taekwondo. Federation, you know the, the they have a huge tournament. Yeah, uh, and that's that's just uh, ATA. You know the ATA guys. Yep, yep. Uh, and I think they limit it to just only to ATA.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and they don't go to other ones either because we've we've right. we've invited them to ours locally and stuff. And and uh, yeah, they kind of stick to their and a lot of, a lot of organizations like that. They stick to their own things. I like the ones that are more open and anyone can go to them. That's that's one one reason that drew me to the Diamond Nationals. I could see people from you know karate and kung fu and you know different styles oh, yeah. competing against each other and it was always fun to, especially with forms that was that's why i love that seeing the different forms completely different styles go against each other and yep. really really got a kick out of that
1: well the things that they do today on stage are just incredible i mean i i, I mean i can't even imagine how people can can do physically do what <laughs> what goes on yes as some of the in some of these forms that they're doing man it's just it's so athletic and i mean it's, you know, it's a combination of gymnastics and martial arts and showmanship and, and music. and I mean, it's, it's spectacular. People, you know, when I have friends that have not ever been to a pride oh, wow. when they come watch this, just, their, their mouths just drop open. They just can't <laughs> believe what they're seeing.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely an, an experience to to check check out. So so what kind of advice would you give someone who is thinking about getting involved in martial arts for the first time, they know nothing about it? What what kind of tips would you give them, maybe like what to look for in a school and maybe some things to avoid?
1: No, that's that's kind of a tough question. Um I think what you know, you, you wanna look number one, you wanna find schools that are in a you know proximity to you physically that, that means that you would be able to get to them on a regular basis right. you know, it would, it's not smart to you know find a school that's 35 miles away and then think you're going to go there regularly uh when you've done that i think you go in and you know you, you're looking to just see the general you know the general appearance of the school is it kept clean is it does it seem like that you know those things are being paid attention to because some schools aren't and then you need to you know watch some classes uh, depending on if you're talking about going in as an adult or going in or bringing in your, your children. You now, if you're watching children's classes, you know, you, you get a good sense of how uh, an instructor can interact with kids. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you want to, you want to make sure you look at safety factors, you know, what are they doing in, in sparring? What what kind of policies do they have as it relates to, to sparring and, and, and you know, protective gear and, and those kind of things, because, Again, those things make a big difference and you know schools that, that, that are very I think there really are very few schools now that don't require uh, extensive safety protection uh, equipment and they, they all, you know, certainly should, in my opinion but those are the kind of things that I, w- I would look for. And then, you know, finally, I think, you know, you just, you know, check tuition rates and, and, and make sure you're comfortable with what, you know, what the people are charging for their services.
0: Good answer. So then uh, you've been in martial arts for, for pretty much most of your life. Now, what are your thoughts on like MMA and the UFC? Is that something you're a fan of? Do you watch that at all?
1: I don't. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I occasionally do. I occasionally will just stumble onto one of those things and I have tremendous respect, you know, just for the, just how you know physical these guys are and, mm-hmm. and how you know what can you know, how great condition they are and how tough they are and how much you know, punishment they can give and take uh it, it's not something that i'm would be interested in trying to get involved in anyway you know, right. promoting or, or any other thing. You know we we promoted kickboxing for, you know pka for yep. years yep. i was involved with the pka for many years with joe corley and matter of fact you know i was on that was a ESPN guy for about uh, three years yep and you know went out and went to these shows and and did the commentary and also helped and I was kind of acting as a liaison between uh ESPN the the network and the live promoter and just making sure that the, the promoter had their ducks in a row and that, that they were ready to do a telecast but but even then I, the one that, maybe the last show I ever did the commentary for was an event out of Las Vegas, it was uh, Rick Rufus and uh, a guy from Thailand whose name I, I don't recall, mm-hmm. uh, but they were allowing leg kicks and tie rules. And in the first you know, round, Rick Rufus was just beating this poor guy to death. I mean, just knocked him down a couple of times and and the and the, and the guy just barely made it through the first round. And then starting in the second round, this fellow came out and started kicking at Rick Rufus' legs. And Rick Rufus was a great fighter. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was really one of the top fighters of his time. Long story, he just short, he just beat Rick Rufus' legs to death. And they, you know, he finally they couldn't even he couldn't even walk out of the ring. Oh, man. And I just thought, I don't wanna I don't wanna do that. You know, I don't wanna promote that. I don't wanna be involved in that. And that's when we I mean, just stopped doing full contact in our, you know, amongst our productions that we did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, just went directly and went, went you know, we just went exclusively for tournament type of activity. Because I just, I, I couldn't, you know, we'd always gotten a lot of our fighters through our own ranks, the guys that we, you know, that we trained and brought up through the ranks. And we had some really world class fighters that we trained and produced. And, but I just, I, I couldn't in good conscience you know, recommend that they go out and compete with, with those types of uh, rules. And now it's, of course it's, you know, the, the, the events that just allow that, you know, leg kicking is the only thing that they allow outside of regular kicking and punching. Right. That's mild. That's mild compared to what, what you see in the MMA and UFC guys do, oh, yeah. but <laughs> I res I respect them, but not something I would want to be involved in. Okay. Cool.
0: No, that's fine. It's not for everybody. That's for sure. So, So who are some names that you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts?
1: Well, June Reed would be, you know, the guy that's at the top of that list. Nice. I, 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 don't, I don't think anyone has ever had more of an impact on the the growth and development of martial arts than, than June Ree. Mm-hmm. You know, when we were there in Washington, again, this is a Pat Worley story. I don't want, to, I don't want to take all his stories away if you're <laughs> going to talk to him in the right. future. But he was fighting a guy named Mike Warren, who, in my mind, Mike Warren is one of the top five all-time karate fighters. He was amazing, and and anyhow, Pat had beaten him to win the U.S. Mister Reed's tournament there in Washington D.C. Uh, and then, and they were fighting. I think the second time or third time they'd fought, and Mike Warren hit with a spin hook kick that just shattered his cheek. You know, really it was a bad injury. So Mister Re went back and started to say, "I've got we got to do something about this." You know, so he he started going out and getting foam, you know, sheets of foam rubber and cutting them up into the little things, sticking them together, gluing them together, taping them together. And he came. came up with these crude sets of hand and foot pads, and then we would. He would come out to our workouts, or when we were working out on Fridays, and he'd say, "Okay, here's what I have. Look at these." And we go, "Oh," and he said, we'll "Put these on and go hit each other." <laughs> so we we put on these real crude hand and foot pads, and, and go out and knock each other around. Come back and say, "Mr. E, I think you need thicker pads," <laughs> 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 and uh, but that's where that's where the protective gear started. Yep, and uh, Patton and Jeff Smith were the first two guys to ever wear them in an actual competition. But um, so he did that. He really is the guy that that started musical form. Uh, and while we were there in Washington, he he came in one day and and he said, "I've been working on this." He 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 wanted to call it martial ballet, and he he had choreographed a form to the music of Exodus, the musical score Exodus. And we, you know, he demonstrated it for us. And I was just, tears in my eyes. You know, I, I said, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And so he did that. Uh, and he just, you know, he has, you know, he has promoted the, the the values of martial arts. He did it his whole life, as much as anybody I've ever known and lived it. Uh, he, he was a, a great example of maybe the best example of what martial arts are supposed to be. So I put him at the very top. After that, you know, there's a there's an awful lot of guys that come, you know, come in there pretty close, you know. I mean, Chuck, you know, Chuck Norris has certainly done a, a tremendous amount to help develop martial arts and promote martial arts. You know, there's there's I mean, again, I, I mentioned Joe Corley's another guy that did a lot to make, you know, help grow the martial arts through the Balvin Lana and then through the PKA later on. Uh, all those guys, uh, you know, Larry Carnahan goes in there. My brother, Pat Worley, goes in there. Okay. Um, and Jeff Smith goes in there. He's another one. He, he's an amazing guy. Nice. Uh, and, you know, beyond that, you well, know, there's a lot more, but I, 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 I can't tell you off the top of my head who knows, but there's a lot more guys. Hey, those know. are some good
0: answers, some solid answers. So, So, is there one philosophy you've learned in all your years of martial arts that just rises to the top? It's super important to you. You keep coming back to it.
1: Well, this has not so much to do with martial arts per se, but in general, mm-hmm. I've always believed that bad times don't last and good times don't last. And so, you know, as we went through the years, we had lots of ups and downs and ups and downs. And I've always told our, our school owners and our staff people that you know, it didn't matter how tough things were going, everything eventually is going to work out. Nice. And I believe that. That's a
0: great philosophy. I like that. All right, so we got a, a few fun questions to wrap it up. Do you have a fa- okay. favorite martial arts book?
1: I do. Uh, the uh, oh, man, I haven't thought about this in a long time, and I don't <laughs> have the book any longer because I lent, I loaned it to someone and never got back. It was called the Karate Dojo, and it was written by a Japanese martial arts stylist from New York, uh, uh, Urban. What's his first name? I don't remember his first name. Somebody'll tell you, but yeah. you know, th- this was one of the first books that I ever saw. About Peter, Peter R- Urban, R- I've R- heard
0: of. Yeah, one of Peter, P- Peter, P- yeah. Peter Urban. One of my other Peter guests Urban. talked about that book too. So
1: yeah, and it, it was just it was, it was again for a young guy who was on fire with karate. It, it was a very inspiring book. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it just it made karate again seem magical, and uh it was just about his. He was a Goju stylist and it was just about his training through goju martial arts and it was just it was a, one of the earliest books ever written i think about in at least in english uh, about martial arts okay so that's that's that that would be my favorite book
0: nice all right how about a favorite martial arts tv show
1: well like a lot of guys kung fu probably would be my my favorite
0: that's a, that's a, that's probably i would say boy 20 to 30% of my guests pick kung fu so. <laughs> It's a, it's a, it was a great show growing up. Now, did you ever, I have to ask everyone, did you, did you ever watch the sequel that came out in the early nineties, the Kung Fu, the legend continues?
1: If I did, I don't recall it. So it must've been very good. <laughs> I think it only lasted
0: one or two seasons. I mean, it, it actually wasn't horrible, but it was, you know, I mean, back then I watched anything martial arts. So that's probably why I remember it, but <laughs> right, right, yeah. that's good don't Good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Final question. Favorite martial arts movie.
1: of mm-hmm. the Dragon
0: solid answer that's bruce lee i mean there's
1: been a, i mean a million movies yes I, I had the opportunity to to meet bruce lee on several occasions really yeah he he came to washington dc uh, as a as a result of he, he and january met at ed parker's tournament they were both mm-hmm. there uh, they were demonstrating and so Mr. reed would do his you know, kicking demonstration and Bruce Lee did not a demonstration with some other things, but they, they, they kind of just mutually, you know, respected each other. And uh, so Bruce Lee at, at that time was doing the, uh, what was the name? Uh, green Hornet yep. TV series. And so he had developed a certain uh, amount of notoriety there, you know, celebrity. And then he, after, after that happened and he didn't get the Kung Fu series, he was kind of in a downward Trajectory and had yet to go to you know, making any, any go to Hong Kong and make any movies. So Mr. Ree for his tournament, would invite him out, and so you know to come out and do personal appearances at the tournament. And then when he had a, a grand opening for a school, he would invite him out to you know be the special guest for that, and and, and Bruce Lee would do a demonstration and that sort of thing. And so we were there at that time when that was going on. And at one point he, uh, he was getting interviewed by this local, uh, publication, kind of a sports, uh, publication there in Washington, D.C. And they had a, uh, it's called sports week. I, the reason I say that's because I'm looking at it right now mm-hmm. and, and he's on the cover kicking me in the head. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And so, yeah, he was, he was, uh. So it's such an impressive guy I mean, in person he was he was he was funny and he was he loved to be the center of attention uh he he was kind of a jokester, and at the same time he did things physically that we hadn't seen anybody do
0: Right, I mean, right.
1: He, he was just so explosive i mean he he was really really impressive martial artist. And he, at one point, you know, that same day that we, he had, you know, I was I was just kicking dummy. Uh, he said, John, if you come out to Los Angeles, give me a call. And he gave me his, his phone number. Wow. And he said, I'll, 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 I'll teach you a private class, and I won't charge you anything because you couldn't pay me anyway. <laughs> so did you ever I do never that? Did get, I never did get a chance to do that, and I, and, I, and I lost the phone number. I hate that. You know, Man. I, I Carried it around in my coat pocket for about two years, and somehow it disappeared.
0: That would have been cool. (laughs) Yeah. Dang. But
1: I still, I still have the uh, framed picture of him and and him kicking me in the head. So that's that's something.
0: That's really cool. That's you're probably. I think you're. I think my fifth or sixth guest that I've interviewed that have have actually had met Bruce Lee or trained with Bruce Lee or knew Bruce Lee. So that's actually really cool. So quite a quite a story to be able to tell people.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was fine. He about killed one of our guys. Uh you know, he used to do a he demonstrated a short punch where he would put his fingertips up on your chest, yep. just from there, just boom, explode forward. And we had this big guy who was he was, I don't know, six two, six three, and probably weighed you know, two thirty. And he hit he stood in front of the wall and I thought it was gonna knock him through the wall. I mean, he, <laughs> he just he hit him so I mean it was really just exploded him backwards. He yep. just he could he could get such tremendous energy into to a strike like that and it, it was it, it was awesome
0: that's cool well i will definitely i'll put links on the on the show when it comes out to to national karate school to the diamond nationals and anything else you want me to put links on uh and, and stuff but i just i, I want to thank you for your time this has been so much fun I, I i loved hearing your story like i said i've diamond nationals is the first karate tournament I ever went to so uh, great back in well, 1990
1: we would love to have you back.
0: I'm hoping I'm actually it's 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 tough with my with my part-time job. I'm actually a, a sports PA announcer. I announce college volleyball and soccer in the fall. The Diamond Nationals are the other weekend of like October 20th this year. Yeah. I that's think. correct. Okay. But seriously, just thanks for your time and like I said your your episode should be out in about 2 weeks and and um and we'll 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 send you all the information.
1: Great. Well, thank you again for having me on. It's been fun uh, reminiscing and I hope that people will enjoy hearing some of these stories.